Life Audio. Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with Gospel Lap Ministries, Good Enough Parent, and the Gospel Rant Podcast. Look, here's the thing. I think that we pro-life Christians can do a much better job communicating in this arena. In fact, I wonder if we're shooting ourselves in the foot more than we want to admit. So this is a special one-off show. I hope that you are listening to and enjoying my current series on YouTube channel, Dr. Bill Sinyard, one word, and the Gospel Rant podcast called Power to Change, about how the power of the gospel can actually begin to really diminish addictions, whether it's to drugs or porn or alcohol or sex or social media or anything else. You may want to check that out, www.gospelrant.com. All right. Now, back to the issue today, the abortion issue, the pro-life issue. I mean, the comedian George Carlin, a number of years ago, just lambasted pro-lifers. Well, no, he mocked us. And again, many years ago, for our inconsistencies, poor messaging. And to a large degree, I think he was onto something. Not the whole thing, but I think he was onto something. And things have not changed much. I think we can do better. So be encouraged. This is to be helpful. This show is to kind of throw my two cents into the mix in a unique way. All right. This is important for the sake of the gospel all the time, but maybe slightly more this year being an election year. You know what I mean? And pro-life, abortion, mother's rights, baby's rights, all of those things are definitely on the ballot. So how do we process them? How do we speak about them? How do we communicate what we believe, right? And most importantly, I'm going to be talking about ways that you and I as pro-life Christians can actually begin to give a more consistent and gracious gospel presentation to people who are in need around us, including specifically mothers who are in an emotional turmoil and might be considering or have considered or have had abortions. They're a chief concern of ours. They're chief concern of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That might be why we're here right now, today. So Christians, here's how I'm going to break it down. First, what is the gospel for women who have had or are considering an abortion? Interested? Second, what is the good news for infants who have perished as a result of an abortion? Curious? And third, what are some real practical ways that we can more consistently act out what we believe, the gospel we communicate. So I think we're going to get some discussion going. We're going to have a little fun. Uh, you may agree or disagree. That's, that's cool. All right, let's get started. After a brief word from our sponsors, I will be right back. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. All right. 
First, what is the gospel for women in particular who have had or are considering an abortion? Well, good news for the mother. God loves sinners. That's all there is, right? His love is innately for the unlovable, the unloved, the unlovely, those who are feeling undesired, those who are feeling undesirable, the lost, the alone, those who feel desperate and broken, who are stuck, I mean, so poor they can't see any way to to possibly support a family, and even those who have been raped, right, incest and rape, those who are at the end of their rope. God is here. It's good news for them, for us. Jesus came to embrace and rescue such people, right? I mean, the way we talk about some women, I think we communicate that they have no chance to be held in God's loving arms. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is likely the best time to tell them, many of them, of this love of God for the stressed out. Like I said, those at the end of their rope, women. And no matter what your situation may be or what your context is or who you are or what your skin color or politics are or your family of origin, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he embraces sinners, needy people, broken people, frightened people, abused people. Let me put it another way. God only rescues. (laughs) Let me say it again. God only rescues. Jesus only dies for people who have made very bad choices. Yeah. Who have blown it and who no one else would ever say deserves the eternal perfect love of God. (laughs) By the way, me either. See, and no matter who you are or what you've done, Do you want to experience the love of God right now? That same love through which the father loves the son and the son loves the father. It's the exact same. But you say, I got pregnant when I wasn't married. Jesus says to you, come to me and I will in no way cast you out. But I've had sex a lot. Jesus says to you, come to me and I will in no way cast out. But you don't understand, I was raped by my boyfriend or my father or some total stranger. Jesus says to you, come to me, and I will in no way cast you out. But I've had an abortion. I've had a number of abortions. Jesus says to you, come to me, and I will in no way cast you out. Right? Is this the prime message that's getting out there from Christians? I'm sure that some of you are already saying that, right? But is this what Christians are are all saying in one voice? No. Are you kidding me? Is this what women's rights proponents are hearing us say? And by the way, I'm also not saying that there aren't Christians equally adored by God on all sides of this issue, all sides of this debate, right? I'm asking what is our core message? You know what I mean, right? The core message, what we're here for. Look, Christians, pro-life Christians, this is an opportunity for a deep personal gospel presentation for people, for needy people who need help. God loves and rescues sinners who've made bad mistakes, failures, even those who spent most of their lives throwing rocks at Jesus. You know who you are. All right, second, what is the good news for infants? That was for mothers. What's the good news for infants who have perished as a result of an abortion? Yeah, this is controversial, but this is what I'll say after 30 years of of being a pastor and a biblical scholar. So here's what I think. No, here's what I have come to firmly believe. God has got the infants who have perished or who were killed. All of them. 
every single one of them, regardless of race, sex, family of origin, how good or bad their parents were, how they perished even, God is holding them in his vast arms, the billion and billion of deceased infants. Have you thought about that? Doesn't that make sense? By the way, don't you hope it's true? So why are so many Christians so hesitant to embrace this good news and then boldly share this with people who have lost children? I mean, here are some of the reasons I've been told by theologians. One, you know, the Bible never says that all infants go to heaven. You know, (laughs) yeah, the Bible doesn't say a lot of things specifically. It also doesn't say that they don't go to heaven. So in this case, it seems like this fits in the, well, in this obvious category to me, once we begin to experience God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine a God who... Speaking to that deceased infant who comes walking up to the, 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 the golden gate and, and says to the child, uh, you know, sorry, it's a loophole, I understand, but you never made a statement of, of faith. And it's unfortunate that your parents didn't quickly baptize you. Or, and, and I know it's unfair because you didn't have the brain capacity to actually make a statement of faith, right? And so... You didn't have a choice. You didn't have a voice. But look, rules are rules. And if I let you in, well, that would just cause chaos. I would have a a lot of people's uh, clamoring for an exception, you know, an appeal. No, come on. It's it's absurd on its face that we have such an unfair and, and uncaring deity. Does this sound anything like anybody's Jesus? No, God's got them. Here's another theological argument, maybe against this position or cautious of this position, the whole idea of original sin. I mean, the argument goes something like this. Well, since the fall, all humanity is born with original sin. It's a curse. It's a soiling. It's a stink that fell upon humanity due to Adam and Eve's primal sin, their choices. So unless your child was quickly baptized into Christ, they have no claim on grace because they're not washed And God, you know, he can't look upon sin, right? (laughs) Man, I've studied this issue enough from a lot of different points of view to see that this is an extremely narrow view, historic, uh, orthodox, but an extremely narrow orthodox view of original sin, even though it's quite common. Some put it this way, very harshly. The sins of the father just are passed down to the children. They're quoting Jeremiah 32. I tell them, we live in a post-cross world. Jesus' death is effective for all those who are brought to belief through the Spirit. The Spirit's hand. They don't suffer the guilt of their father or even their own if, if salvation is laid upon them. Jesus takes it all on their shoulders. Even if the original sin was some kind of original moral stain on our DNA, might the cross be equally effective for helpless children? Might Jesus have died for infants on the cross? That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, uh, and by the way, I'm not speaking about universalism. These were children. These are infants who didn't have an opportunity. Uh, right? Or look at the opposite. What kind of gracious, loving God would turn infants away from this eternal love without an opportunity to run into his arms? You know, it seems to me if we just reasonably consider their record of actions and choices, infants, right, in the womb, 
if we can speak of persons in the womb having choices, they are perhaps the only one in humanity who would be arguably morally innocent. Because they've never chosen sin over God, have they? Not once. See, I think that those who would withhold God's love from infants really need to make a better case than they have done historically. Inherently, what they're doing is robbing, diminishing the reputation of God, his compassion and his fairness. I believe, honestly, that original sin is more likely referring to the chasm that separated humanity and God. All of us are born into this separation, this isolation from the experience of the love of God after the fall. All of us are born innately lonely, isolated, anxious, fearful, unloved, uh, without the experience of the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. And all of those things we were created for, right, to experience God's love for us. And we were celestially isolated from the love of God. That's when we were, how we were born. So to use one of Paul's metaphors, each of us is born groaning longing for that connection with God, that experience, a well-done, good and faithful servant of God. And, and like the rest of creation, all creation groans. So Adam and Eve were the only ones who experienced that separation when it happened in real time. They experienced isolation and loneliness post-fall. We're born into it. It's like gravity to us. This is our reality. So salvation, when we actually come to Christ... When we're saved, when we're rescued, we begin to experience God's love and it's embrace again. And so we get an idea of that chasm being healed, the bridge, a little or a lot. So Paul puts it this way. For Christians, we can access God's heaven-born power so that we can begin to grasp even a little the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for us today. That chasm healed, that, that original chasm, if you will. So redemption, salvation... Holy Spirit, they've bridged that original separation, sin, chasm, for us, experientially a little here, and experientially perfected in heaven. So follow me here. If I'm right, and I believe I am, we can give mothers who have lost their babies, including those who have had abortions, and we can assure them that their child is indeed in the loving arms of a loving God and are being wildly cared for. (laughs) Right? I I can't think of a more powerful gospel presentation, whether they believe or not, just for them to imagine the possibility. Their child is loved as much as the father loves the son and the son loves the father. Encouraging? Unbelievable? Yes and yes. I can say that to parents who had miscarriages too. I can say that to parents whose children perished from trisomy 18 or, or similar infant conditions, those who have perished through mysterious crib death. If, and if they're unbelievers, I can say, can I tell you what they're feeling and can I introduce you to that father, right? Can you imagine? We can be a messenger of such stunning good news to those parents can't even imagine. I mean, how can we say that? Because we have personally experienced undeserved grace from God ourselves. This is who God is and what he does. We know him and we would be surprised, right? And shocked if our God would abandon a single infant 
due to some narrow supposed loophole in the law. Right. By the way, that he wrote. <laughs> no. He innately loves the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely, the helpless. He embraces the rejected ones, the lost ones, those who have only endured suffering in their short lives, injustice and death. He is the God of the living and the dead. And we can be God's messengers to that woman and men, by the way, the fathers, who are struggling in the aftermath of a difficult emotional, physical, and, and spiritual choice. Maybe they will eventually want to experience such love for themselves. That's the goal, Christians. Maybe they will be reminded of their own salvation if they're Christians and run back to the loving arms of Jesus again, asking for peace and and the love that casts out fear. He is a God, we know this, who rescues those who have committed abortions. He does. Heaven will be filled with redeemed people who, who, who have suffered abortions, who have committed abortions. That's just... That's what redemption talks about. Jesus' death can cover that crime. Do we believe that? This is stunning good news. And again, I'm not suggesting universalism at all. I am suggesting that all of us are going to be wildly surprised at who we see in heaven, way beyond our most ridiculous expectations. Due to, here it is, the magnanimous grace, innate righteousness of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. (laughs) I can hear it now. Yeah, but... Aren't you just enabling abortions? Oh, man. Brother, sister, if that's what you've got, and if we've devolved this whole issue down to that bromide, that that argument, I know that I'm getting very close to convincing you, right? Look around. I don't think that the people in our country need to be enabled (laughs) anymore. They're freely and willing to do it, and they're... And they're trying to, humanly speaking, justify it, right? They're already enabled. Me, I am introducing regular, hurting, afraid people who just might be lonely, ashamed, and hopeless at the end of their rope, misled, misinformed, guilt and shame ridden, yeah, and telling them about this crazy, amazing love that rescues and raises up such people as you. Who's the real enabler here? All right, third, this is the fun part. What are some of the ways that we pro-lifers can be more consistent acting out what we believe? This is what George Carlin just lambasted us for, okay? This is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to get to it right after another word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind Podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind Podcast, visit lifeaudio.com. Okay, number three. What are some ways that we can more consistently act out what we believe. Uh, And this is what George Carlin, the comedian, just busted us for years ago, our inconsistencies. So I think he's right in in some ways. So this is going to be a lot of fun, this section. And yeah, okay, it'll have some controversy too. All right. But this is one of my spiritual gifts, I think. I'm able to see inconsistencies, particularly between what people or institutions say they believe, uh, you know, what's on the church vision statement and how they actually act. 
right? No judgment. We are all inconsistent. You might be surprised. And one of these days, I'm going to do an entire series on the main inconsistencies of Christians today, Christianity today. It could be a lot of fun, but step on a few toes. Now, I'll confess, I'm not as good at seeing my own inconsistencies as one of my many fatal flaws. Uh, But look, if you benefit from this list, pass it on to your Christian friends, your family, your church, your pastors, your politicians. I I think it will get a good discussion going, okay? Here's just a few thoughts. Number one, simple. Name your child soon, your baby. He or she is a person. That's what we believe. That's what we say we believe. So they should be given a name. Persons have names. It's very simple. We'll win. Well, there's some room for legit disagreement here, but, but I would say that most pro-lifers believe for sure and would be very comfortable that once you see the, the heartbeat, the sonogram, yeah, uh, give your tiny person in the womb their rightful name and then start to use it. Uh, what if you don't know what their sex is? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got this right. My wife and I referred to each of our womb-encased persons, that's WEPs, as Bubba. You know, I'm from Louisiana, so it was simple. It was a lot of fun. We talked to Bubbas. All three of our children were once Bubbas. But look, I understand that you may want to su- be surprised by the sex, And even if you do find out, you may want to surprise your family and friends. But I'm urging you, for the sake of the gospel and consistency, right, just plain old consistency on this important issue today to surprise everyone by giving your little person their name as soon as you can. You know, surprise. And maybe you can hold off on the middle name. If you wanted to honor somebody in the family, just talk about their first name, right? Still a surprise when the birth happens. So you can honor some family member, do something, right? Everybody has a different way. Name your child. Then in conversations with people, you can refer to little Bobby or Raul or Elizabeth or Bubba. You're just being consistent with what you believe, right? Don't be arrogant or smirky about it. Just parents talk about the kids and their kids have names. Two, when people ask you how many children you have, It's only consistent to say we have three children versus, well, we have two children and one on the way. Consistency. Again, you don't need to throw it in people's faces like it's a weapon of some kind. It's just being consistent with what you believe. It just may lead to some great gospel conversations. So be chill, you know, and please be chill with other pro-lifers you may believe that life begins at conception. And I've heard those arguments. I think it's a difficult biblical case to make, but people do. Fine. So name your child then. Okay? Uh, you may prefer to wait till you've seen the heartbeat. Go for it. That's, that's fine. And let's give each other grace here. You may have come to another conclusion. <laughs> that's fine too. Just try to stay on your side of the road, Christian pro-lifers, and celebrate this gift, this person that God has given you. Bubba is already here. (laughs) Three, really support local legislation, state and local legislation that considers the baby an actual person, meaning as a person who has rights to uh, to well-being. So if they're harmed in any way, uh, they can appeal to justice because persons have rights in our country not hunks of flesh. Persons have rights. It's a clear distinction. So if a 
a child in the womb, a WEP, is harmed or killed by an attacker, the court should uphold the rights of that undelivered person, the UDPs. <laughs> Bubba should get justice, right? Simple. Fourth, if you unfortunately suffer a miscarriage uh, or an abortion, please, I know this is painful, but please have a legitimate funeral for your child by name. I know this is going to cause some eyebrows to rise. But, and, and, and if you have the sonogram, right, you can use this uh, on the casket, right? Bury your child with a gravestone with their name and date of birth and death. Consistency, right? All right. <laughs> pushback. And I expect pushback in emails here. This is such a, a volatile issue. And it's caused so much damage and death and division everywhere. So much so that the gospel gets overshadowed all too often. I remember, here's an, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Speaking to one lady in one of my congregations. She was a great woman, a godly woman, a Christian who knew Jesus, who dearly loved him, who experienced his love for her. One Sunday, while her husband was mingling in the back, she came up to me and whispered that we needed to meet. Uh, she was from a country where the husband had a lot, a lot of authority in the family. I mean, no judgment. I'm just saying that's the culture. That's the context. So I asked when she and her husband might be free to meet. She emphasized that she needed to speak to me alone without her husband there. She was very emotional. I mean, not frightened, but, boy, she was emotional, so we set up a time. And there she confessed that she had had an abortion years before and never told her husband, and she's been carrying that shame and guilt. There were a lot of reasons that she had rehearsed, and, and clearly it was a complicated decision by her, one that she regrets, uh, but, you know, uh, and so she's got this guilt and shame and, and, you know, weird feelings towards her husband. And her husband's noticing all this, right? And she was ashamed that she hadn't told her husband, that, but couldn't. So could I help? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I mean, not me personally. I gave her the gospel. I just reminded her of the amazing gospel of Jesus that she already knew, but just needed to hear again, needed it confirmed. Jesus, 2,000 years before, died for all of her crimes and bad decisions, including the abortion, uh, and her not speaking to her husband, who, by the way, absolutely loved her. By the way, I ain't right. Uh, so he, he died for the cover-up, and I assured her that her child is right now in the arms of God and is having a great time. Certainly looking forward to the reunion. I even urged her to share it with her husband, which she did, and everything went fine. This is the great and stunning power of the gospel. It's time we were as adept at the gospel as we are with, you know, murderous politics. Amen? So look, dialogue with me at bill at gospel-app.com. If you're a parent of teens and tweens, I've got something else for you. I would like to invite you to check out my free online journey for frustrated parents of adolescents. I mean, and did I mention free? When you register at goodenoughparent.online, one word, goodenoughparent, you will be sent 15 biblically immersed parenting tips, one a day for 15 days. Take the ones that work in your context and run with them. And like I said... They're immersed in the gospel, but also informed by the latest in neuroscience and attachment theory. You're going to love them. 
pass it on to other parents that you think might benefit from it. I also have a couple of books coming out, uh, should be published soon. The Unlikely Prince, so much fun. It's in the same kind of genre as C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. It's written for 10 to 15 year olds. It's a great story, powerful, important gospel presentation, kind of hidden beneath the surface of the story. Right? I think you'll enjoy that. If you want to know more, Bill at gospel-app.com. And I have a series of books for women, Dance Daughters of the Most High, about overlooked and underappreciated women in the Old Testament. It's fun. It's encouraging information. Great for women's Bible studies and book clubs and men's. These are heroes of our faith, and I'm just giving them voice that they haven't seemed to experience much. Again, bill at gospel-app.com to find out when they'll be released. You can also follow me on Instagram, Gospel App, one word, YouTube, Dr. Bill Sinyard, and of course the Gospel App. Uh, the, the YouTube will be a video presentation of the podcast. So, And please subscribe while you're there. It helps us more than you can imagine. Yeah? We'll see you next time. Take heart, child of God. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.